My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the post-cred pod. I'm sad, Eric. I'm sad. It's the season finale of WandaVision. It's the last episode. We'll be like really in-depth breaking down WandaVision. You know what, B, though? As we'll probably learn in the multiverse soon enough, when you close (laughs) one door, a new one opens. That's true. That is a a very smart way of looking at it. And there's no sleep for us these days, man. Pop culture is, I feel like it's back, you know, like so uh, this like this week specifically, I don't know if it's because it's been sort of nice out. The sun's been peeking through. It's been high 40s, low 50s, but I'm vibing. Definitely, dude. It's like catching a major vibe here. Yeah. (laughs) And then we got we got our Pixar movie draft coming up. Then we have to go right into uh What's it called? Falcon and Winter Soldier. We got a lot going on. Oh, right, we do. So much so that I completely forgot about that. That's right. We do have that coming up. That'll be fun. But before we get into WandaVision in today's season finale and what it means, not only for the show, but for Doctor Strange 2 and the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, at large moving forward, we got a lot of news to hit. Uh, specifically, when you guys are hearing this today, it'll be Friday. We're recording this on Thursday. Raya and the Last Dragon will hit hit both theaters and Disney+. Plus. Did you catch a screener of this, Eric? No, Disney will not let me in. I'm in with a lot of them now, but not quite yet. The mouse house in the sky. <laughs> it's disappointing because, like, you know, bro Bible, like, bros watch Disney. That's the fact. Plus, I've got thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag thoughts, hashtag takes. <laughs> But listen, I I did and I wrote a review for Observer and I would say my long story short is that while there is some overly hokey, corny and a few formulaic elements to Ryan the Last Dragon, this is overall an absolute banger, probably the best Disney animation. So discounting Pixar since Moana, it's got exquisite animation and easily, easily the best action you've ever seen in a Disney animated film. The fight scenes of the choreography, the martial arts really really cool so if you know if if that's all you're looking for guys go for it because i think this is a really really solid uh a disney movie and i gave it three and a half out of four stars for my review for observer now is it a musical or no no it's not a musical it's a full basically long story short back in the day humanity was united we lived alongside magical dragons All of a sudden, an evil entity threatened Earth or or their version of Earth. The dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. And that ultimately led to like humanity splitting up and fragmented and we're at war with each other. We have preconceived notions of other cultures and societies and we don't trust one another. And it's about a lone warrior, Raya, searching for the last dragon in order to restore what is lost. And by doing that, also kind of rediscover her own faith in humanity and open herself up to being hurt again by putting her trust in other people. I mean, and it looks visually spectacular. Yeah, it's great. It's a fantasy action adventure with a very cheeky sense of humor, yeah. courtesy of Aquafina's kind of stream of consciousness joke style, which I enjoy. Disney, uh, you know, what's great about them finally expanding the type of characters they portray beyond the very base level, much needed inclusion is that they're now able to exp- explore more colorful parts of the world that they may not have explored before now what i want to ask you is this because as good as the reviews have been and as much as i want to see it i'm still not at the stage where i would pay 30 bucks for it it's something that i could simply wait for what i want to ask you is why do you think something like soul which carries the branding of pixar 
which I think is a name big enough in and of itself that that is that is the sell, right? Like I would pay $30 to keep up with what Pixar is doing. I can't say that that's the case here. So do you think the rollout of Pixar and how well or how well it did not do informed their choice with this film? That's a really, really good question. And I think there's multiple reasons why Soul arrived on Disney Plus for free, whereas Raya and the Last Dragon is Disney Plus premiere access for $30 additional charge. Number one is they knew, because they're Pixar, that they had a potential best animated feature and best picture potential nominated film on their hands. So they wanted to get it out uh, to a widest possible audience within the time frame of eligibility for Oscar. So that's number one. Number two, it was a Christmas release after being delayed several times due to the pandemic. The reason is... Disney Plus didn't want to be left out in the cold when Netflix has dropping multiple movies and original series in the holiday season, including Midnight Sky with George Clooney and Bridgerton, which became their biggest ever hit, according to their metrics. HBO Max was dropping Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas, free for existing HBO subscribers. So as a family-friendly four-quadrant film, Soul is the perfect thing to not only compete with those guys on that big day for a big splashy uh, uh, streaming event, but also, hey, we can drive new subscriptions and, and really expand our demographic here. And as third-party data shows, Seoul was successful in attracting new subs. So I think that's another reason, too. Uh, I think Raya and the Last Dragon is a continuation of their experimentation with what hybrid releases work, both in the pandemic age and moving forward. So, you know, each each experiment has trial and error. Like, So this is a continuation with Mu- Mulan, which was also Disney Plus Premier Access. Disney is seeing and gathering data on what works and they will continue tweak and adjusting which films get released for how much money, for what time frame, and in what way. So Raya and the Last Dragon is another information gatherer for them. Because those just, are all the reasons. I, I just, unless you're a, and both of these are fine, a family or a hardcore Disney animation fan, I don't think that this is going to break through to those on the fence people like me who love animated films, but doesn't quite feel the need to have to pay for something right now that I know that I could get for free in probably less than two months. But exactly to your point, that helps them gather data on what types of films, which brands, what kind of leads are going to be able to break through or not. Whereas Soul was like, hey, we got a guaranteed hit on our hands. Let's drop this, pump up those subscriber numbers, which were close to 95 million a week after Soul uh, arrive so you know that that was a good move on their part also and when you pay the 30 dollars, it's a rental right no no you have it forever oh okay oh that's interesting okay okay that definitely would make me think about it but still probably not enough to, yeah. to do it listen I, I recommend ryan the last dragon i think it slaps it's got good action again some, some hokey overly thick corny parts but ultimately cheeky sense of humor very entertaining dope animation that's my review all right, let's move on to one of the bigger stories in recent member. Which recent broke, memory. hold on. I just want to make clear that this story broke last week as we were recording. So we didn't have, to, I, I know that this is kind of a week late and that we touched on on the last pod, not as in-depth as we would have liked to, but this is a story that we simply had to talk about despite the fact that it's been a full week since this news dropped. Yes, exactly. And that is that J.J. Abrams will be producing a reboot of Superman for Warner Brothers written by acclaimed essayist 
journalist and writer Taneshi Coates. Apologize if I'm butchering the pronunciation of that name. Which we do all the time, which actually you do all the yeah. time. See, I'm bad with I'm so just, bad with names. I'm bad with normal words. <laughs> You're yeah. bad with names. <laughs> we compliment each other. This is why postcred pod works. Yes, a balance of <laughs> stupidity. So this this is reportedly a reboot, and though it is unconfirmed at this time, reportedly will be focusing on a black Superman, potentially Val Zod, which is from Earth 2. He's different from Kal-El. And I wrote a, a big, long post for Observer about the many live-action Supermen that Warner Media is is juggling right now you know that's superman and lois on the cw that's henry cavill's uncertain future in the role and that is this new black superman and one of my main points was that one there's room for all of them to exist but two on the big screen you can argue that the last surefire no doubt about it big screen superman hit was superman 2 in 1980 so you know a shit ton of years ago since then Every big screen Superman film has failed in some regard, either critically, commercially, and proven polarizing among fans and critics. So reinventing a character that has struggled against the weight of expectations for 40 years and tapping someone who is a respected, critically acclaimed authority on race, identity, and politics, who also has amazing comics runs on Captain America and Black Panther, which inspired inspired Kevin Feige to greenlight Black Panther in the first place. So it's tapping him to reinvent the character with a whole new, fresh perspective. This is the type of left turn that I think immediately rejuvenates the Superman property because it is potentially unlike anything we've seen in the mainstream big screen for so long. While still, I, I do think there's room for Henry Cavill to have his own HBO Max series and Superman Lois to do its thing on the CW. So that's my take. And I, I'm extremely excited. So everything you just said is great. And I agree with it 100%. I want to make clear that I think a black Superman is a fantastic idea. I think, especially if you consider adding American racial historic tensions into yes. that of growing up in the fucking Midwest in the 1960s or whatever time frame they choose to put it, it makes the alien story in and of itself all the more compelling and rich. No question. But I think that regardless of what they do and how as you're saying that this is the sort of idea and quote unquote left turn that could rejuvenate the character as a whole, I'm not sure unless you fundamentally rewrite who that character is that that could be done. And this sort of harkens back to really my whole life and how I wound up and as I joke, like how that 90s Batman show had an incalculable <laughs> impact on like my life choices and how I wound up here. Respect, which I, I you know, that's a, a great thing to point to. Part of that is because I remember my dad was a Superman guy, right? Like I remember growing up the things that my dad loved, the Mets, Springsteen, Superman, because of the TV shows and the films that were, were coming out when he was coming of age. But as a kid, and I remember this as one of my earliest pop culture thoughts, I didn't understand the drama of an immortal being. That is directly what drove me to Batman. Those were sort of the two that you had to pick from at that time. And for me, it was a no-brainer. It was the regular guy who's just putting on a suit and doing it for the squad, or this alien who, as a kid, I just thought, oh, you can't shoot him, you can't kill him, boring. And I think that is sort of still, in a more complex way, the fundamental problem with him today. Let me explain like this. 
I'm not the first one to say this. I'm not the first one to point this out. This is a well-worn train of thought. But think about how for thousands and thousands of years, man walked and rode on horseback, right? And then the Ford Model T drops in like 1908. And then barely 50 years later, the first bullet train begins in Japan. Five years after that, we put a man on the moon. Now here people are right now, probably hearing this on an iPhone, something that didn't exist 15 years ago. So my point there is that I think just like we have rapidly outgrown things that we were attached to throughout the entire course of our being, I think Superman and his design do not translate to the world of 2021. I don't think we have the appetite for the endless optimism that he provides because when he came out, America in and of itself, like the American modern future, was still the dream of what we should and could be. These days, I think we are faced with the reality of what we are. And we know we are not (laughs) Superman. We know that that ideal is a false God that doesn't exist these days. We don't live in a world where that sort of thing is appealed to anymore because we know it can't be achieved. Technicolor Midwestern Americana has been swapped out for the monochromatic skyscrapers of the coast. And that's just a fact of life. So I think that unless Superman changes, if they figure a way out to depower him and also make him black, which I think is a direct route to tapping into making the character more intrinsically relatable, then maybe he can be fixed. But as currently constructed, I'm not sure the character himself can be saved in the way that Warner Bros. wants him to be. Well, here's my counterpoint to that. I would argue absolutely on the big screen in recent years, Captain America and Wonder Woman have been the spiritual cousins of Clark Kent Superman in the sense of they are earnest, good-natured, optimistic characters at their core. And we've seen that work. And even though the big blue Boy Scout may seem outdated... But it's a combination of that, of his unachievable moral high ground and his unassailable power. It's that concoction. Now, now my second sub point is I agree. And it's so easy for movies to very subtly suggest that he's not invincible. You know, kryptonite can still be his main uh, weakness, but you just show him go up against another super powered guy, get punched in the face and like bleed a little be like, ah, oh, that one really hurt. Like it takes literally no effort to be like, Oh, you know, he's still obviously the strongest person on the planet, but like he can be hurt. That needs to happen. He can't just like take a punch from Hulk and be fine. That's just right. dumb and, and uninteresting. Yeah, but how do you do that without, without completely changing who he is? I, I, it's easy. You just do exactly what I said. He's fighting another superpowered beard, he, being and he bleeds a little bit. Like, boom. He, he's just a little bit depowered. And then third of all, Valzod, the black Superman from the comics, is not Clark Kent. It's a different different character on a different earth. So I think that is also a reinvention that breaks into new ground because- But it, is it the same we have, story? It is a similar story, but he's not the same person. He is not Clark Kent. He has different okay. personality traits. He is a hero and everything, but you know he is not the, the, the necessarily Americana prototypical farm boy okay. who's from mid-America. I'm all for it. I want to make that specifically clear. Yeah. I'm all for it. My- Black, I think Black Clark Kent works too, but it sounds like they may be doing Valzar. Not confirmed. Criticism is not of Clark Kent or or Valzar. It is of the very Superman idea. 
And also, listen, he goes to his Fortress of Solitude, he puts in the crystal, and Jor-El says, or whoever Valzad's father is, says, uh, you know, you're you're not invincible, but you are, like, heightened. Like, it, it, there's so many easy ways it will take less than two and a half seconds of screen time to be like, okay, this guy's very powerful, but he's not all powerful. Yeah. He's not okay. indestructible. You now, know, I, I agree completely with that criticism, as, as do most people. Now that, let's put a pin here, because we got to move on. Yeah. I want to ask you two things, because this is ultimately what will matter, assuming that they do go forward with this film. A, do you think it makes more than Man of Steel? I think I think it's way too uh, too far out to predict yeah, that. No, I, no, 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 no. I want to know no, who's no. in you it. You can't skate out of that. that. Yeah, you can. No, you just got to pick one, dude. Just guess or, or give your best guess. Right, and we're, we're assuming that they are going with a black Superman. Yep. Yes. And let's it, even say that they cast Michael B. Jordan. Then then yes, I definitely think it makes Okay, and do you think do worldwide. do you think it makes 1 billion? I mean again, this is going off literally no information that helps to We have the writer box box office. Yeah, but we've got the writer, the producer, the character and the potential star. But we've a lot to go on. <clears throat> we don't have, you know, we have potential character we don't know yet if it's valzad or, or black superman or black oh, you clark think kent. that we there's a know. chance that they go black clark kent it hasn't been confirmed I, that it's it valzad? hasn't been confirmed oh, okay. okay so i think that's that's possible we need to know star if it is michael b jordan i definitely think it stands a chance listen I, I think it's a great concept and a great collection of talent and i think it has the chance to be better than superman returns and man of steel so yeah. I'm going to say, Same. yeah, right now, yes, it, ha- it has a shot at $1 billion with, okay. And that's knowing Same. nothing about it. I totally agree. I totally agree. I hope so. And I hope that they do it. I just, this is something that I felt about the character since I was five years old. And it's only borne itself out even further with WB's inability to put him viably on the big screen, despite all of the CGI tools that they now have at their hands to do it well. I think if you mix the... A uh, character focus of Superman Returns with the action of Man of Steel. You have the be- one of the best superhero movies ever. Okay. All right, let's move on to our next one. Keeping it with Michael B. Jordan, the first trailer for his action thriller Without Remorse based on the Tom Clancy character, John Kelly. It finally arrived. Now, Paramount wanted this to be a new franchise because he's already signed on for both Without Remor- Remorse and Rainbow Six. Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, they had to sell this one Without Remorse to Amazon. Eric, this is written by our man Taylor Sheridan, who we're big fans of. This is the guy who wrote Sicario. He wrote Hell or High Water. He created Yellowstone. It's one of the hottest screenwriting names in all of Hollywood. What did you think of the trailer? I had two thoughts. I think it looked great, but I'm not sure it's going to do well, right? Like, I think, I don't know if the market for that sort of film is still there. Like, did the John Ryan series make, or sorry, Jack Ryan series make any waves really I mean I think it got a season two but I don't remember it breaking through the noise despite the big budget and the big star um but that said I think it sort of looks like a combination of those classic 90 act 90s action thrillers that we grew up with and a little bit of John Wick so it's like commando sort of John Wicky sort of I could I personally could not be more hyped for this this is the type of action movie that i would say i miss the most that you know as we've moved toward and this is still ip right but as we've moved specifically towards anime video games comic books etc etc fantasy novels this sort of action 
big budget film is the type that I miss most because it's what I grew up with. Yeah, I, I think aside from the tired, cliche, dead wife trope, this looks pretty fun. And I agree with you. It's, it's a 90s action movie kind of with the trappings of 2020 uh, effects and capabilities, which is a, a nice little tease right there. My question is, do you think John Kelly, his character, is kind of the next Ethan Hunt, Jason Bourne, like they want him to be? And is if this is successful, do you think there's any sort of big or small screen crossover with John Krasinski's Jack Ryan? Because remember, same exact production studio, I've got same a, streamer. I, I've got a great bar for it. Can it do as well as Extraction did? That's sort of its bar, right? I mean, we don't know how many Amazon Prime video subscribers there are. And we know, obviously, that Netflix with like 200 million had like 96 million views or whatever. But if it can do extraction-like numbers for Amazon Prime video, I got to believe they're like, yep, let's run it back. And here's why I bring that up, right? Extraction did so well. Look, people are going to watch these films. That film got eyeballs without remorse is going to get eyeballs. What carries it to that next level is word of mouth. And as if it can maintain the conversation over for a sustained period of weeks and people go back to watch again and people tell their friends about it. I remember when it came out, it was like, it was like, what was it? Uh, April ish. And like pandemic was just really, really started to sink in. And I had it gone to a theater and watched a new movie in a few months. So I like, treated myself to this like i bought popcorn i bought <laughs> i i bought myself a fucking sound bar i was like all right Aww, I'm you're so adorable so and it and it like it totally worked like i was enthralled i was like that was fucking like the like saharan the raid and that was fucking sweet and i told all my friends about it and over the course of weeks it grew steam it got bigger as the weeks w- went on and that's what this needs if its biggest weekend is its first weekend then that's probably not a good sign. What they want is it's is it to become a self-perpetuating engine of hype. To your point, then we'll move on, but of word of mouth. I watched the first 25 minutes of extraction and then I had I had to go do something, I had to pause it, whatever. And you and I were talking. I'm like, yeah, it's fucking terrible so far. And you're like, bro, trust me, keep watching. And then I went back. I'm like, oh, this is the best action since John Wick. God, yeah, like it, I'm it, on it's, board. It's it, and I would give it even higher. Pre- I mean, look, it's not as good as John Wick or this film that I'm going to say, but what it reminded me more of was the raid. Yeah, there's definitely raid esque action. Uh, and when you get an A list star like Hemsworth in a in a propulsive and slick action film like that it could work so that's their bar here hopefully they cross it because i would love to see more yeah me too all right you want to handle this next one because i see in the uh, notes you have a little special all right well after years and years of delays you like to point out that the rock was first attached to play black adam in the early 2000s he was first rumored to be connected to it officially joined 2014 i think He was, yeah, right. So he was officially signed on 2014, which I just realized was seven years ago. (laughs) Yeah, and he was first mentioned with it like 2008. So it's been more than a decade of basically rock is black Adam. It feels like it was four years ago. It feels like 2018. Anyway, point being is uh, the seven bucks CEO or some guy confirmed that it is finally going to begin filming next month, to which I could only say in my best rock voice, finally. And for those, Let's come for, back to DC. For those at home, I did the whole close eyes 
wide nose breathe thing that the rock did i, that, I even that, saw an eyebrow arch whether so, intentional or not look, man just you know real quick on this it's great that it's finally going to happen i've always said that like the rock is probably the biggest movie star of the last 10 years and this is undoubtedly the biggest genre of the last 10 years so the fact that those two are not only going to intersect but are intersecting in a genuinely interesting character he's not playing a superman he's playing a traditional dickhead he's playing yeah he's playing a traditional anti-hero and as we've always talked about as i talk about he's long tease that this film is going to quote change the hierarchy of power in the dceu now i've always theorized that that means that superman has to show up because you fundamentally can't reshift the power structure if you don't topple who's at the top but considering what we now know we don't know what the future is for cavill they are loading this up with other heroes here they're trying to cast dr fate hawkman has been cast uh adam has been cast so this has potential to be a big fucking deal with the rock you're almost guaranteed a half a billion dollars right so if they could put if they could put together a good product DC could have like a Wonder Woman one esque hit on their hands. Black Adam and Static Shock are my two most imp- anticipated DC movies on the horizon, for sure. Wow. All right, let's get get to our not the Batman. Oh yeah, yeah. I was talking about DCEU. Assuming Fair. Static is there, the Batman's number one because it just looks absolutely epic. Fair. Uh, quick hitters. Obi Wan is rumored to appear in the Andor series. I mean, I'm fine if he does. I'm fine if he doesn't. I, I just want my Obi Wan miniseries. That's all I want. Uh, the Snyder Cut has released the chapter titles. Do you have those? I don't have those handy. Oh, sorry, pal. Let me. Uh, I should have. I should have brought those up before. No, same. Don't worry. We got five minutes left for our clock, which is great because tomorrow I think we're gonna be potting for at least an hour, assuming they drop a fucking bomb. Those bastards, <laughs> dude. They really dug themselves a hole here. They've got the director and Paul Bettany being like. You guys are going to be disappointed, which I think could be a double reverse bait and switch. Like now they're so deep in the game that after his already web of lies, but he already was like, you know, gotcha with his, with his, it was me the whole time. Like, I know, but I still think that I still think that something could go down. Anywho, as I scroll through Twitter. All right. Where were we? The Snyder Cut chapter trailers. All right. One, don't count on it, Batman. Since y'all had to wait, I'll, I'll do some voice work. <laughs> Love it. Look at all, all right. his talent. Should I do Lex for, <laughs> for one of them? Nah, fuck that guy. All right. Chapter one. Don't count on it, Batman. And then chapter two. The Age of Heroes. <laughs> uh, chapter three. Beloved mother, beloved son. Chapter four. Change machine. Chapter five. All the king's horses. And now chapter six is the one that is depressing as fuck because it sort of lets you know on, it gives you insight into what we would have gotten if this all went well. Chapter six is called Something Darker, which, you know, obviously has to do with, as he came out and said this week, his original plan, which dunk on Snyder all you want. This makes more sense. He said the Justice League was intended to be a, multi-film epic in the vein of Lord of the Rings. And I think for characters as iconic as these, that totally makes sense. <laughs> I mean, just like what they did with Avengers. Yeah, you know, exactly. Films, yeah. 
All right, Hugh Grant has been cast as the villain in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm calling my shot now. Dungeons and Dragons is going to be a sleeper under the radar. Like, dude, I can't believe how good that movie was. Like, that didn't deserve to be as good as it was. I'm calling that now. So, well, Chris Pine is your top Chris, right? Yeah, Chris Chris Cron, most versatile Chris. So there you go. Although Chris Rock is probably best Chris overall. Okay. Uh, over. Over no 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 my Jewish I was gonna say over Jesus Christ <laughs> that's that's one Chris but uh, you know that's that's stretching it um, Indira Varma who played Ilaria Sand in Game of Thrones has been cast in the Obi Wan Kenobi series you know basically the camps have been she's either playing uh, Asajj Ventress in a flashback maybe or Duchess Satine in a flashback maybe that that so that would be a really badass Sith like enemy and uh, Obi Wan's old romantic flame so two characters if Either one would be very cool to say. Obi-Wan getting it in. He's like, definitely getting it. He, he love to see it. Love dude, to he, see he it. even says at one point he would have left the Jedi Order if she asked him to. So, like, he was deep. He wow. loved her. So you think that they're going to expand, you know, who he who Obi-Wan is beyond being a Jedi? Potentially. I mean, those are the two most sensible guesses as to who she might be playing. Could be someone else entirely. But, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be character-focused. Uh, Space Jam, a new legacy released its first look. I'm a huge Space Jam fan. I'm a huge LeBron fan. I thought the first look was pretty fine. Like, I, I don't really care about posters. I only care about footage. So, like, yeah, I'm in. Sure. I think what's cool is that they said in the piece by EW that WB characters are going to be in the stands watching the game as if they were at, like, Rucker Park. That's cool. So, That's I really think cool. that is very cool. That's a great way to be like, hey, remember all this cool IP, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tenet hits theaters in New York City today, which is Friday when you're listening to this, six months after its original release date. I- which is some sort of like backwards, ironic time travel fuckery that Christopher Nolan has to, at his core, sort of enjoy. <laughs> it's like if you write the movie Tenet and then you try to relaunch cinemas. It came it out both six, six months, months ago and right now. Exactly. That was and like- the whole time. You know, <laughs> I'll put in the wah here. It's been a while. That's perfect. All right, it's a four-year anniversary of Logan, which was on Wednesday. Uh, great film, great fucking film. And we've we've kind of gone back and forth in some good Twitter conversation recently about Logan. Yeah, we need to pot on that. We've only talked about that movie during our superhero film draft. So maybe next year for its five-year, I don't know, sometime this year when it's slow, but we got it. I rewatched it this week. It that movie is going to age so incredibly well. It's going to age like Wolverine, who up until Logan was aging pretty damn well. Right, right. <laughs> and finally, the Batman hits theaters one year from today, which is March fourth when we're recording it. You're right. That's my number one. But within the DCEU, assuming Static Shock, then then under that is is Black Adam, Static Shock. In oh, that's our timer to shut the fuck up. <laughs> You like that? We nailed it. Real quick, that this was originally going to come out June 25th of this year. Ah, that hurts. That actually hurts my Pain. spleen. Pain. All right. Now for a quick break and then on to the season finale of WandaVision. So I just want to point out before we start that my eyes are puffy and red, not because I just ripped bong, but because I, as I rewatched... I was ugly crying, man. <laughs> oh, you're adorable, buddy. Dude, that scene with Vision is great. Like, that's that's why I, like, don't hate this finale. But I'm like, yo, that had some good stuff. So on that note, let's dive yeah. in. 
All right, welcome back to the post-cred pod. We are finally now going to jump in to WandaVision. Eric, I, I don't want to say goodbye. Yeah, I mean, will we? I don't think we've really technically said goodbye to anybody yet. I guess like Wanda envisioned themselves, it's more of a, you know, we'll say, we'll say hello at some point. In the See future. you later down, yeah, exactly. down the road. Now, one thing I want to touch on before we jump into the beat-by-beat beat recap and our awards and categories, because the discourse, as I'm sure you've seen on Twitter and just on the blogosphere in general, is already exploding. And that is fan theories and unmet expectations. I think when it comes to WandaVision, the wellspring of theorization and speculation leading to some of the frustration from some corners of the internet right now is because of the weekly release model. WandaVision's greatest strength throughout this last, what, six, seven weeks is that kind of communal monoculture viewing and the joint conversation, everyone talking about the same thing at the same time every week. Now it's suddenly turned into its biggest quote-unquote flaw for certain corners of the internet. And I, it's funny to me because if this was a day one drop, bingeable release miniseries, the idea of unmet expectations and the whole spoiler discourse it wouldn't be an issue because we all would have finished it relatively at the same time. Now I've discussed on this show before, but I do feel it's like a case by case basis for something that is meant to be a flagship series, Eric, like a Mandalorian or like a big blockbuster Marvel series. Weekly release is absolutely better for business and for the, uh, you know, the, the, all the conversation, all the reasons we just mentioned. The, and the, for the, us. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> for us. That prolonged engagement, that prolonged conversation. For something like WandaVision, though, as we have also discussed, I think releasing the first three episodes at once instead of the first two may have been beneficial, especially as we see a little bit toxic hostility spring up with a finale that didn't meet everyone's fan theory. So overall, before we get into this discussion, I just think it's an interesting wrinkle to consider when discussing how these shows are formatted, delivered, and consumed, since ideally we're going to be doing some version of this for quite some time. Yeah, let's just make one thing clear. Week by week is always how it's going to be. They are never going to change it. Disney specifically, you know. Uh, yeah. That's not the case widespread, but Disney specifically, given the very blockbuster nature of their content, are always going to do things this way. As they um, should. You and I have discussed as a whole product in a vacuum, would it be better bingeable? Not in, as I've pointed out, not as an experience, but as a strictly viewable watchable product and maybe i really i'm more confused now than i've ever been <laughs> and i think and it, and it sort of harkens back to what you said this week about logan and how it leverages time spent to put as much weight behind that ko punch as it can and that's sort of what this series did it here so if i crushed all of this in one day the character development of both the two leads and the relationship between them wouldn't have felt as lived in as it does now. And Preach. my favorite part of the episode is that very structure is how it's how, how I feel like I've been on this journey now. So I think the main problem here is because I'm sort of on the fence. I think that fans, especially with the flippant nature in which Marvel, you know, they did that, multiversal tease in far from home bait and switch and then they did the pietro tease bait and switch and then you've got both bettany and olsen out there talking about cameos and doing all this hype 
almost and and like an a, an ironic sense of humor, not towards the fan base, but about the fan base. And like so cheeky. So their flippant nature towards this multiversal plot rubs me the wrong way. And fans are allowed to feel that way. But at the same time, you have to be able to compartmentalize your personal expectations for any content and what they are ultimately providing you up front. Yes, they may have fainted here and head nodded here and zigged and zagged, but this show never promised us Mephisto or Nightmare. That was solely born out of our very enjoyable community conversation. So then to turn around and hold that against the very proprietors of the people who gave you that content is illogical. it's, It's unfair and it makes no sense. And you're only at the end of the day detracting from your own enjoyment of it yeah so what's my point my point is that (laughs) (laughs) my point is that while i was not satisfied by most of the narrative conclusions the emotional culmination of the series was so overwhelming to a point that i am able to put aside yeah i let down with the story and i'm able to appreciate the character development, which at the end of the day is what storytelling is supposed to be. I, I think I'm going to get this quote wrong, but it's like, but it's like um, plot is something, but story is character development. And that's what we got, right? We got a story. Yeah. The emotional payoff in this episode was absolutely worth the narrative clunker it threw up. And to your point, exactly. Just because there wasn't a Mephisto or a Nightmare, just because there wasn't a massive multiverse lead-in or a Doctor Strange cameo, that doesn't erase the the nine weeks or whatever of enjoyment and fun that we had on this pod, on Twitter, everyone in, in, in just talking and texting to their friends. It may not have ended as everyone expected and or wanted, but that does not undercut the journey as kind of cliche and over the top as that sounds it's true the enjoyment is still there nothing erases your experience all right let's run into the beat by beat recap so we can really get in depth basically agatha reveals her big plan is to siphon wanda's chaos magic from her white vision pops into westview and our heroic couple basically must fight They're evil doppelgangers to save the day. Eric, my first question is a really dumb one. And yet, because we over-obsess about the nitty-gritty, it's a tactical one. After Agatha proved that every blast Wanda hit her with, she was absorbing and taking away from Wanda, why wouldn't they switch? And why wouldn't Wanda go fight White Vision and Vision fight Agatha? You know, I feel like that's the classic animated cartoon superhero mistake never fight your doppelganger fight the other ones right of course but then it loses all of its thematic yeah, relevance. It's a dumb question by me but it's one that my nifty little brain can't let go of yeah i would my um oh shit i'm in your notes i was like wait a minute i, I didn't have this thought <laughs> like wait my thoughts were way more intelligent than this uh no so so we've seen sort of magic before magic action fleshed out in the mcu before i think most notably in uh, the Infinity War battle on Titan, which I, which that battle in and of itself, and particularly Doctor Strange's role in it, I tell you all the time how much I love it, how it's much so I think, it, how much I think it makes him the MVP. That Especially a, compared to this 
whole episode, which with all due respect, it's just a bunch of colorful lasers. And, and that's so, boring. right. So that's my, my point, right? How successful they were in making the, ag- the, the magic action look cool in that film. It's the opposite here. The first scene, the dialogue is bare bones, right? They're just sort of explaining things to each other at a very base kindergarten S level. Wanda, I think, literally says at one point, she's like, I'm not a witch. <laughs> okay, yeah. Wanda. All like, right. clearly you are. Um, but Catherine Hahn was such a brilliant casting choice that despite the clunky, at sometimes corny back and forth, and despite the CGI magic blasting, looking goofy as hell at times, Han's sort of spirit and how much fun she's clearly having is infectious and made yeah. me enjoy this. Like her just fucking cackling and and stand. And when she like, when Wanda force blasts her back, like Catherine Han just pops up. Yeah, she, I, I wrote in my notes Undertaker because yeah, she just does so- a pop. So I think that had a lesser or more blockbuster and not traditionally trained actress had that role, the corniness of it would have boiled to the surface to the extent where it was intolerable. But yeah, because of Catherine Hahn and the performance that she's put on, I was able to get past, you know, while it's impressive CGI, you're like, oh, right, this is TV. That said, the vision action scenes i think were very dope i think that white vision they somehow made look simultaneously very cool and also very scary especially when he goes for that like barbaric skull crusher move that was a great move i was like wanda no you idiot don't go up to him such savage shit which is like the threat that a remorseless vision does pose on top of that i always think vision's powers have been a conduit for unique action set pieces. And we got that very thing where they're sort of trying to punch each other, despite the fact that they could both go transparent and like absorb each other. And with the energy beam blast and the sort of the way that when vision flies, it looks like he's being drawn by a magnet. It doesn't look as weightless as like a Clark Kent. It looks more like scientific, which is something I've always thought was really cool. So at once there's one, one corner where I was very let down by the set piece, but the other, I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is good shit. Yeah. I mean, the density phasing of vision has always lent itself to some really creative choreography and action. And I think they did a really good job with it here. I agree completely. And it was kind of weird to have these parallel battles where I thought one, like I told you, with the dialogue and the cheesiness and, and the energy blast, I'm like, it seems like we've slipped into an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with flashier names. And then we both agreed Vision fight was dope. So to have those parallel was a little bit of a weird knee-jerk kind of back and forth. But yeah, solid opening overall. Uh, so then Agatha, during their fisticuffs to kind of mess with Wanda's mind, she releases the residents of Westview from Wanda's control understandably angry they immediately turn on her Dottie whose real name is actually Sarah reveals that her daughter has been locked away in her room this entire time she literally begs Wanda to just give her a role in the story even if it's a villain just so she can leave her room others plead for death as Wanda's grief has quote poisoned them this is another really really dark and gut-wrenching display of the toll, mental, physical, emotional, that Wanda's Westview vacation has taken on these citizens. 
Wanda's understandably overwhelmed. She starts to open up the barrier to try to free them. But obviously this causes the new vision and the twins to start disintegrating. So she close it, closes it. Uh, this is, again, another clear-cut example of Wanda straight up being a villain of this story. And I'm going to bring it back to this later. But for Monica and by proxy the show to try and reposition Wanda's actions later was borderline offensive. And, and like I said, we'll get to that. But that was a huge point, huge sticking point for May. How do you mean? Well, I mean, we'll get to it. But you want me to do it just now? Well, I personally don't know what you mean by reposition. So later, if you want to save it, save it. But I just don't get what you mean right now. Well, then I'll just we'll we'll save the whole explanation. But later in the episode, she Monica says to Wanda, "They'll never know what you sacrificed." Oh, oh, I know that was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and I will I will have my rants prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. This scene does something that we have praised this series for this whole time, right? It takes a sudden left turn into horror. In the early season where we would be in a sitcom scenario and they would pivot to sort of underlying tension. In this case, we were in a traditional third act MCU ending complete with your CGI beam in the sky. You know, they can't fucking resist. You yeah, got to respect DC and Marvel. Like guys, you, come you gotta on. Respect it for it. But for the first time in this series, I actually didn't think it worked. I found the sort of zombie horde effect to be the least jarring pivot into horror as it was the most traditional trope, right? Like all of her regrets are literally encircling her, you know? So, and on top of that, they very much leaned into like a night, uh, dawn of the dead type. I'm going to eat your brain type <laughs> vibe, which, you know, just didn't work for me in that moment. Now that said the dialogue, which is something I am critical of in this episode overall of Dottie being like self-aware that they're all playing roles and begging for her daughter to have one was intense as hell and effective because they've tried to sort of give you a perspective and insight of where all of these mind controlled people are at. And most of them have just been primal shears of terror or help. But the fact that Dottie is able to be analytical about it and like, and, and, and is, subconsciously trying to free her daughter while also entrapped in this fucking weird world, I did find to be a very terrifying thought. Yeah. See the reason it did work for me, not so much, you know, the, the land of the dead zombie esque setup is because they're vocalizing their terrors and exactly what you said. Dottie is so aware of what's going on and she is so controlled by the trauma and so without hope of escaping that her only hope is to beg for a role within this disgusting puppet show for her, for her daughter. That is devastating. So each person individually vocalizing their pain and saying, you know, we, we dream your nightmares, your grief has poisoned us. That's really powerful to me. And, and if you have a conscience, Wanda, like right then and there, you have to know you fucked up. Speaking of bad lines, when um, in this scene, Wanda and, and this sort of highlights an inconsistency in Wanda's self-defense throughout the whole time. She says to them how she thought that they felt and how she thought that she was making them feel. She's like, no, no, no. You guys are at happy. You guys are happy. You guys are at peace, which, again, I think is a jarring repositioning of what she's doing and what she's what she thought she's been doing this whole time 
and it's disgusting. I'm just not fucking buying it. Uh, More or less is I'm not buying that she at any point genuinely believed that. Even if they, she did think they were happy. I kind of liken it to uh, Theon in Game of Thrones. He was given a great life by the Starks. He was treated like a son. Nothing bad ever happened to him. But he was still a hostage. I don't think he ever should have turned on Rob Stark because their their bond was real. But his identity crisis over still being a hostage and never quite being a Stark, you know, that's that's real. And even if she was giving these people a happy lives, she has to know that it's wrong. The entire process is wrong. So this was an effective scene for me overall. One more point on this sort of town square standoff. Agnes sort of explains the dark hole to her and it's like, and she's like, you are like the Scarlet witch is not born. She is, well, I, I don't know, forged. fashioned or something or what Brandon forged, forged, forged. Right. Um, so she brings up, up the dark hole, right? Literally name checks the sorcerer <laughs> Supreme. She's like the Scarlet witch is stronger than the sorcerer Supreme. And I'm like, Fuck yes. We're cooking with gas at this point. Like, <laughs> my man, my man just got called out like it's the end of a UFC match, right? It's like, I want the sorcerer fucking supreme, Dana White. Bring him out here. Give me the belt. So I'm thinking at this point, I'm like, all right, not only do we have alternate reality chaos, not only do we have two witches flying through the air, casting all sorts of spells, but my man got fucking name dropped. So I'm like, all right, sweet. As we learned throughout the course of this episode, and as we will talk about later, because I think the most valid fan complaint is the Doctor Strange plot hole. So we'll get into that later. But for them to directly reference him in the middle of this episode and still not follow through, I think it's frustrating. I think it provides interesting context for where in the multiverse of madness might go, and that Doctor Strange can't just straight up G-checker, you know? He can't. <laughs> You know, Thor showed up to his crib and he mind-fucked the shit out of him, right? So, like, he can't do that to her. So I do think that there is value to that scene, but more so than the wink and nods at Mephisto or Pietro. It's the the Doctor Strange ones like this that bother me. And I'm glad you brought up Thor because I just wanted to point out that in Ragnarok, Thor and Loki set foot on Earth, and within minutes... Doctor Strange has basically brought them to his Sanctum Sanctorum. He has never met Thor or Loki in his life. He's never met I can't believe we're just bringing up this point now. This is an unbelievable point. And yet Wanda, someone he knows, is in New Jersey holding 4,000 people hostage. Across the George Washington Bridge, a 30-minute drive. Like, what is going on? Where is this dude? Dude, the Thor point is so fucking great. I can't believe we haven't thought about that. Like, exactly. he steps on Earth, I need to check these guys out. <laughs> yeah, and not just that, but absolutely runs circles around them. Yeah. The two of them stand no chance. Loki's falling for 30 minutes while he fucking pours Thor a beer for shits and giggles. Like, this man... We will get to the strange thing later, but I just didn't want to skip past this part without touching on that specific yeah. plot point. And and good call, because she did name check Darkhold which you, you pointed out when we first saw it a few episodes back. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then Hayward and other sword agents basically storm into the hex before Wanda can close it again. Then we shift to Monica, who's being held basically hostage by Pietro. But you can't keep a fledgling superhero down for long, Eric. She gets 
the upper hand on Pietro and basically discovers that he's a resident named Ralph Boner who was given a magical necklace by Agatha to give him his power. She destroys that, basically frees him from the spell. <sighs> Listen, Eric. For a show that's been intentionally meta, this was an unintentionally meta scene in that perhaps the two biggest letdowns of the back half were trapped together in a room. Well, very well said, because I also have a lot to say on Monica as well later, but very well said. I want to say that I I am okay with fan theories not panning out. It is perfectly okay to me that Pietro's existence didn't match up with some of the things we were speculating. Audiences audiences don't have to be right for television to be good, as you said up top, and you're totally right. But here's my question. Why intentionally run subterfuge against your own fan base and invite a bombardment of speculation by casting Evan Peters in the X-Men role uh, only to pull the rug out from under us. That is a step beyond a red herring. You know, why not get a completely different actor to play Pietro if that was your end game? Because he and Wanda share a really emotional conversation about their childhood trauma a couple episodes back. It helps to color in her past. It helps to paint a picture of her current mental state and a little bit of foreshadowing for future episodes. Now, all of that feels like an unnecessary roundabout and a complete waste of energy that ultimately, to me, renders a major mid-season plot point meaningless, which then in turn negates the entire weight of the narrative. So for me, this is, a st- again, a step beyond a red herring. It's deliberately riling up your fans for no payoff or, or reason, and I just don't get it. And again, I don't need all fan theories to be right. This just seemed like a step too far. So to try and respond to your question as to why they did this it's possible that they simply miscalculated how the fans would respond to it how could they though which is fine with me hold on that's fine the critical error i think is how it ultimately devolved into a a punchline like a boner joke like the payoff was a name gag ralph boner like that is where we leave that plot line i will get into this later in our tony stark x Position Award slash Star-Lord Who Award, perhaps the new Where the Fuck is Doctor Strange Award. Oh, yes. How does P- how does he have super speed if he's nothing more than a fucking schmo stoner? The charm, the charmed bri- bri- uh, necklace. But so, so that's something that magic people can just do? They can just hand out powers to people? I, su- here, I assume here, so. Here's Unless super speed, an absolutely, an absolutely devastating power <laughs> that some of the strongest beings stand no chance of. Here's a fucking puka shell <laughs> necklace. Go have fun, kid. That is absurd to me. She asked, how is she controlling you? And they showed that. But for her also imbue him with superpowers through that, uh, you know... I'm assuming Ralph Boner, who had headshots and is clearly a, a wannabe actor, did not already have super speed. That's what yeah, I'm assuming. So I, you know, I can live with the haha funny, but I would have rather them pivoted it into something more substantial and more serious and not just sort of ending on a, you know, one second he totally schools. Uh, what the hell's her name? Monica. Right. And then the next she just fucking body slams him. It was so haphazard. And so that you could tell that the writers, whether they were hamstrung by where the MCU needs to go from here, didn't know what to do with either of those characters once they revealed what they truly were. You think Quicksilver is fast. Look how rushed this plot is. 
good one. Uh, that wasn't bad. On the Brandon scale of dad jokes, that one wasn't that bad. You know I like me some dad jokes. Oh, the do. worse, the better, honestly. Plus, you've got on the dad sweater as well today. Look at you. No, nah, this is just a uh, this is a long sleeve shirt. It's not okay. like a, a sweater. No, it's <laughs> not like a personal. Are you taking a personal? I like sweaters, though. I do, I, I do <laughs> have wear so many sweater sweaters. I've worn a sweater, too. All right, so Monica escapes. She then helps the twins stop Sword. Listen, Hayward's been a pompous jerk this whole time, right? But ultimately, as we've seen, he is trying to stop a woman who's enslaving an entire town. But he does not hesitate to unload an entire clip at two children. I was like, Jesus Christ, my man, take it down several notches. So that was wild. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a fitting way to put it. Yeah, that was wild. In the meantime, Vision's able to basically restore the memories of the white Vision who then decides to fuck off and kind of be his own human. Uh, and then Wanda tricks Agatha, casting a spell that takes away her magic and traps her in Westview uh, because she throws the runes up onto the hex wall. And then as punishment, she turns her into Agnes. Whew. All right, there's a lot to run through here. You want to start? Sure. Um, okay, so as I said at the top, I while I enjoyed the physical confrontation between the visions i enjoyed the intellectual one even more um, i'm glad we're on the same page on this one as i texted you i called it a metaphysical rap battle because yeah, that's yeah. sort of what it was and i'll get into that a bit more later but here's what i gleaned most from this right white vision explicitly says my goal is to destroy the vision following that regular vision ultimately convinces white vision that he is the vision so are we to assume he fucks off to go destroy himself or to like stew on what he's just learned and be reborn into the new vision the latter for sure i would guarantee i would bet money on that okay i i really like this tet a tet as well what no because i'm gonna say he they like that vision is out there somewhere. They have yeah. to pick that up at some point. Oh, yeah. That's that's in my lingering questions. But the reason why he flew off and we didn't see him again, I'm like, okay, he's not. if he was going to go destroy himself, we'd see that. They're clearly going to pick back up with that at a future project. Yeah, okay. So, Which is awesome because I, Paul Bettany, give yes. him more work as vision. Like, I am all in on vision now. And you know from the jump, from day one, I've been like, it can only end tragically for Vision. I'm so glad to be wrong in a way that was really well-earned. Yes, for sure. And, I, and the reason I thought it was so well-earned is because it is Westview Vision who has been living with his family all this time, learning about more about humanity, developing greater abstract thought, pondering his own destiny, while White Vision has only recently brought been brought online. So- this enabled Westview Vision to reason with his counterpart through intellect and empathy. This was a showcase for his development over the last nine episodes. And I thought it was a really kind of nifty way to pull it all together that throughout this season, Westview Vision has been unlocking citizens' true subconsciousness in order to like interrogate them, gain some answers. This is kind of a bit of foreshadowing because he does the same for White Vision, restoring all of his memories. But in this instance, it's to set him free, not necessarily to put them back under the spell. So I thought that was a great kind of bookend full circle for what we've seen from Vision, both thematically and mechanically, the whole That's show. That's well said because for them to, to them to accomplish the feat of 
making Vision a 3D character, and then to accomplish that same feat again by making White Vision a 3D <laughs> character it, it, within like a micro-sized version of what they did over the course of the whole season is impressive. Now, to pivot back to the Wanda v. Agnes battle, despite the unintentionally funny CGI at times, I did enjoy Wanda learning and further leaning into her witching powers. Like when she sort of flicks her hand and she turns to smoke and vanishes, like that was very cool. Like she floats up in the air to like challenge Agnes and she just poof, she's gone. So I did enjoy that. I also enjoyed the callback and tie-in of the runes. Because as you said at the start, when she's blasting Agatha and it's not working, why don't they just switch? Well, I guess this payoff is why. Because when she does it again at the episode my primary thought is like what is this bitch doing is she literally giving her enemy her powers but then you realize no she's casting runes so i thought that was a smart tie-in she um, may not be a formally trained witch but her powers of perception clearly top notch yeah so the and there were a couple really stunning sort of you get the perspective of vision and the twins looking up at their mom in battle cool. with the glowing red hex in the background which was a real stunning shot that, w- that was really cool. Now, my question to you also is, by not killing Agatha and basically turning her into Agnes, to you, does that pretty much guarantee that she'll show up again when Wanda needs her to, to teach her something, to like, consult her on something, something of that nature? Like, Catherine Hahn's not done. Interesting, because the MCU in their films usually kill off the villains, right? You only get, you know, the only one who's sustained for more than one arc is Loki and... Uh, Andy Circus's claw, but even then he got all way back. You know, they finally turned that back around. Point being is that usually the villains are a one film arc. The fact that she's not dead, it leaves the door open. But do I see them revisiting Catherine Hans, Agatha Harkness in Multiverse of Magic? Perhaps no, I don't. But I could see her popping up sometime down the road when. Wanda needs to consult her on something or teach her a new skill, like something witchery, where she's not necessarily like a main antagonist. She's just like, all right, I'll help you to I save the world. I certainly wouldn't rule it out, you know. Yeah. All right, so Wanda then decides to give up her new family and says goodbye before collapsing the barrier. She explains that Westview Vision is made from the part of the Mind Stone that resides within her and that she is his sadness, her hope, and mostly her love. And they have a, a, a tender kind of embrace as he dissolves into this beautiful kind of gold essence. And I think to me, this is the scene where Wanda Vision really reveals what it's truly all about after nine episodes. It's not a mystery box. It's not an MCU multiverse. It's a love story, kind of plain and simple. And for me, a well-earned breather for a well-developed storyline that would have never been given the justice it needed on the crowded big screen. Yeah. So I watched twice today. I cried both times. The second time, the second time got me worse than the first time did. It is my favorite scene in the episode. It's my favorite scene probably in the series. It is what it is the definition of many ways. This show to a lot of people did not stick the landing, but if this was the landing that they had to stick and they did vision trying to pass off wanting to turn on the light as knowledge he learned once by like reading (laughs) wanda calling him on his bullshit and then vision being like i just wanted to see you clearly 
And there you are. Really fucking subtle shit, you know, not this could this could have devolved into like Nicholas Sparks cornball you know, a lot of people are saying the dialogue here was cornball i, I, I don't, think it was pitch perfect yeah i think it was pitch perfect too i don't i don't i wrote it down specifically because this is you know people made a fucking shitstorm last week about that what is grief if not love that was an okay quote like i was I not like that en- i was not that enthralled by that i was like yeah okay cool what vision drops here there's been a voice with nobody body but not human and now a memory made real when I was one I might be next we have said goodbye before so it stands to reason I have been a voice with no body, a body but not human, and now a memory made real. Who knows what I might be next? We have said goodbye before, so it stands to reason we'll say hello again. So long, my darling. That's that's poetry in my book. What the, what the fuck more do you want? Like, <laughs> where, like Let's recontextualize what we're talking about here. We're talking about, and I'll dive into this more later, but we're talking about a show that was about two peripheral two-dimensional characters one of which was a fucking Willy Wonka colored robot and they have grown people of all shapes gender sizes colors from across the globe emotionally wrecked by this scene and that is a remarkable accomplishment to me that is the achievement of the show the title of my review today was sort of a wink and nod at everyone expecting the devil to show up that point the greatest trick WandaVision ever pulled was that it made us care. And that is epitomized here. This was how, I don't care what genre, superhero, drama, rom-com, this is how you stick a love story ending. No questions asked. This scene particularly, and what you're just saying when I was watching it, it reminded me of the finale of Lost. Another mystery box-esque show that was criticized for not living up to fan expectations, not providing answers to several mysteries, being a bit narr- being very narrative clunk- narratively clunky. But the reason why I still some go back sometimes and rewatch it, even though I agree with all of those criticisms, is because the emotional reunions between the characters and several of the romantic interests and several just platonic friendships is so overwhelmingly effective, so beautiful, so heart-wrenching, so touching, so everything I want out of a character's journey that it works for me even when it doesn't work for me. And that's what I felt here. This WandaVision may not have given the narrative ending I wanted, but damn if I'm not in love with Wanda and Vision. And honestly, at this point in the MCU romance hierarchy, eat your fucking heart out, Peggy and Steve. It's Wanda and Vision till I die. You make a great point about Lost. One of the Lost scenes that, and this was, and I think I've said this on the podcast a few times, Lost was the first show I ever watched. Week in, week out, I watched every week from the time I was in sixth grade. I think it ran until my senior year of high school or around then. So a long fucking time. And one of the scenes that stick with me most is the meeting 
between Jack and Locke in the airport where they can't find Jack's father's body. And John Locke is sort of like explaining to him, like, I forget the exact quote, but he's like, John, they didn't lose your father. They lost his body. And that conversation has been the lost moment outside of Desmond just being my fucking boy 100% of the time. That is the lost moment that has stuck with me. And I think your lost comparison is apt here for something I said at the top. Fans need to have the ability to compartmentalize narrative and emotional payoff. You can be frustrated by where the story went, but if you aren't deeply moved by the character development, you're missing the point of storytelling entirely. Wanda and Vision made you feel this way. Think about that for a second. That is, uh, regardless of its storytelling shortcomings, that is one of the most remarkable is a strong word, but and not nuanced either, but it is it is breaking new ground for the MCU. Yeah, I, I said on Twitter, like my main takeaway, whether or not I liked or, or hated the finale was that the MCU benefits from ambitious risk-taking and you know experimenting with form and function and Disney Plus provides them a safe platform to do that. Someone was like ambitious and risk-taking, like all the critics say the same thing. They need to like expand the vocabulary. And I was like, with all due respect, man, like what else would you call a sitcom amalgamation about grief and trauma and mental health after 23 films that are more or less formula driven. You know, that, that's what I, that's what I take away from this, that it is. And it, it also would dip into, as we said, horror. Yeah. So, all right. After that emotional goodbye, we get some post-credit scenes. Uh, the first one in a mid-credit scene, Monica is informed by a scroll who I, I'm assuming is Talos's daughter, though I obviously don't know that a friend of her mother's wants to meet and she points to space. To me, that was a, a clear reference to Nick Fury, possibly a secret invasion tie-in. And we already know that Tayona Paris is going to um, reprise her role in Captain Marvel 2. The next one is Wanda. She's out in the wilderness going like full Dexter Morgan in her isolation. She's enjoying a cup of Java on the on the porch then the camera zooms into her cabin and what looks like and what possibly is an astral projection in full scarlet witch mode is studying in depth the dark hold and to me ominous looks, yeah real <laughs> ominous like does not look like she's studying to help you know grow a garden or something. yeah yeah that that looks like some angry knowledge yeah and she and while she's studying she hears her children crying out for her potentially finally after nine episodes maybe giving us oh, maybe there is a multiverse. Maybe they exist somewhere else right now. So those are the cool uh, scenes. I just have a bunch of lingering thoughts and questions. You want me to just run through them real quick? Sure. Because this is just like my end all, like, all right, this is my recap. I'm just going to run through them real quick. You don't even need to answer. So was the aerospace engineer Monica teased Major Goodner or not? I'm still unsure about that. I'm still unclear about what Monica's powers are because she glows her eyes glow a different color every time she uses a different power. True. Uh, did Wanda absorb Agatha's magical powers? Because once the hex come down, there's no more runes. So, Or if she's in Agnes mode, does she forget that she even has magic? I don't know. Uh, like I just said, where were Tommy and Billy more real than Vision, who she created by herself? Because clearly they still exist in some form since she can hear their cries. Does that mean we are getting a Mephisto or a Nightmare after all? Will this be touched on in Doctor Strange 2? Are they in the multiverse? Um, how will white vision who we talked about, who is now a fully restored normal vision plus a reawakened white vision re-enter the MCU story because that's clearly going to happen. 
And then just end all be all, I'm still mystified as to what Monica's motivation or character growth even was beyond my mom is dead and I have powers now. Because as you said, the back half of this show completely dropped the ball and what was forming to be a, a really solid arc. And as I said before, the show tries to use her as the mouthpiece to absolve Wanda of her sins. And I think that is a, a gross misuse of a character who was showing sympathy, yes, but, but her own agency and her own developing arc, and then just gets completely pushed aside. Yes, I know it's going to be taken up in a Captain Marvel 2, maybe in a secret invasion, but I, I do think uh, Monica's arc deserved a little bit more in the back half. So those are just my lingering thoughts and questions. I think they're all solid. My sort of takeaway from the post credit scenes where, and I, and I sort of rolled them into one, as we've said about the scrolls the entire time, and I'm glad that if they were going to do it, they did it in a post credit and not in the meat of the show. Cause we said it would have been a hat on a hat. And I still feel that way. Yeah. Did we need a scroll post credit scene? No, we did not. But did we need a Dr. Strange post credit scene to just Show him taking a fucking nap. Honestly, it does not matter. Just any context. And we want to be careful not to wade into that sort of trolly argument of why don't the Avengers just all take care of every problem all, all the time? You know, you could, you, you could pick apart every single film in that light. But as I've been saying the whole time, when you're dealing with things like alternate realities and magic and you are name checking the guy himself, I think. You know, the same way that they explain why Ant-Man and Hawkeye aren't in Infinity War. Oh, they're on house arrest. Or why yeah. Thor and Hulk aren't in Civil War. Oh, they're in fucking space doing space shit. One line. That's it. That's all it would have taken. But they opted not to do that. And that to me, as I've been going hard and singing the praises of the ultimate product of this show, the Doctor Strange thing, which now is your chance to expand on as well. Because I've fucking done it already. <laughs> the Doctor Strange thing for me is a problem. I, I agree with all that. All it takes is one line. And uh, I also think that we were told time and time again, WandaVision leads into Doctor Strange 2. WandaVision leads into Doctor Strange 2. I understand that now she is kind of set up for a villainous arc or, or some such type thing. I understand that Scarlet Witch will play a role in Doctor Strange 2. I get that. But I don't think, especially for a casual fan, not an obsessive like you and you and I, but even still for us, I don't think a vague eight-second post-credit scene is enough of a bridge into Doctor Strange 2 for me to say, like, yeah, I totally did connect and leave that. No, a character who headed WandaVision is just going to have, happen to be a peer in Doctor Strange 2. This did not set up Doctor Strange 2 in any material way other than, I guess, Scarlet Witch Fallout. But that's not really a bridge. That is just like, oh, that's the next chapter. The Darkhold's back? Oh, no. Where is it? Who has it? Oh, Wanda has it? And then he'll go find her. My oh, guy, dude. you could have fucking done this six months ago, but <laughs> it's over now. Listen, <laughs> I, 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 think... was bullish as, I was bullish on the fact of Doctor Strange appearing, not even for because- Before the show started. Yes, months before. Not because Marvel owed it to fans to drop a bomb like that and have a big character show up, but simply because the construction of the plot created a vacuum in which he had to fill it somehow. He had to. And if he didn't, that vacuum remained empty. And it's too big of a void to just ignore. 
my question, do you think we'll get that explanation line or two of exposition in Doctor Strange 2? Of course we will. Of course. He'll be, be like, sorry, I was in the mirror dimension, just, you know, blowing coke. Of course, with, of course. Red but, Hulk. Yeah, I don't understand. I, you know, I, I it's a, it, it is probably my biggest complaint, more so than, you know, who the villain wound up being and the pacing of the series. My biggest complaint is the lack of narrative clarity on what the fuck Doctor Strange is up to and how anything, how this is not a severe dereliction of duty. And as I texted to you, you know, 4,000 New Jersey residents enslaved by a magical, you know, fake town. Not my problem, Doctor Strange. But as soon as someone says, you're more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme, he's like, yo, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> what are you trying to bring into my Who? town? Who yeah. do you think you're talking shit to? Right. Yeah, exactly. All right, should we hop into these awards and categories? Yep. All right, Infinity Gauntlet Award for the real MVP. Fine. I'll do it myself. I mean, mine at the end of the day has to go to Vision, literally in all of his forms, whether he's a manifestation of Wanda's grief or a manipulated, you know, evil, recircuited robot. The character is the most empathetic, most open, most self-aware, most conscientious, and most human person in all the MCU, in all of his various incarnations. He does not stop being the man. Yeah, I have... Well, so I have the three leads. I think that the acting from Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, and Catherine Hahn brought this series to a level it would not have achieved without their considerable talent. But just like you, my main one is Vision. I think Vision's arc, turning Vision into the most human of us all, and his consistent moral clarity, how he always has the beat on what the genuinely right thing is, it raises the already powerful goodbye because of not just what it means for the love story between the two of them, but for fans of Vision. We're losing fucking Vision. Like, that sucks. Like, he turned into an unbelievably watchable, relatable, powerful character that the MCU, it seems like they're aware would be worse without because they are clearly trying to build a back door to bring him back. Yeah, preach, man. Thor the Dark World Award for the worst performance. You needn't have come so far, Asgardian. Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. I have constantly credited the writing as one of the strongest things of WandaVision. Here, I just think it got a little bit wonky. And I'm not saying it's like LVP as opposed to the Infinity Gauntlet real MVP, but it was a bit all over the place. I think when you have to resort to prophecy, which, you know, the Scarlet Witch is prophesied to bring the apocalypse. I think when you have to resort to prophecy, which is already a little bit lazy, but prophecy to conclude and propel your story, it's a bad sign. It feels like, to me, cheating to navigate a maze. On top of that, there wasn't really much of an emotional parallel between some of the early action and the story's main thrust. I apologize because I'm about to name drop, name drop but uh, John Wick director Chad Stileski told me in an interview once that action isn't just cool CGI and stunts. It's a storytelling mechanism that can galvanize your opinion on an entire film. It's an extension of the themes and messages of a movie, and it creates memorable connections for the audience. Early on, especially in the Wanda Agatha uh, fight, I didn't get that sense. It felt more like a perfunctory and expected third-act Marvel climax in typical blockbuster superhero, you know, unfurling. This is what the audience expected, so now we have to give it to them. So those are my two. 
as I've said this, my I think the way that they ultimately paid off the Pietro plot was shambolic. Uh, the Ralph yeah. Boner thing fell so flat with me. Uh, and I understand that the MCU has a history of following up dramatic scenes with a quick quip. But here, it just did not land for me. I'm also going with Hayward as a general like army tactician. Let's forget his overall plan, right? Of like sacrificing an entire town so he could get Wanda to use some magic to turn on his fucking robot. Once he realizes that a clip full of bullets did not work, he thinks, oh, well, my truck surely will. What are you, a fucking moron, dude? Like, bullets are definitely more powerful and dangerous than a truck. I don't understand the thought process there whatsoever. I think Hayward is a classic example of the white man failing up. How that incompetent boob of a person landed the director's role is just incomparable. It it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. The Jarvis Award for Best Performance by Anyone Except the Lead Actor. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can. Because of like the screen time in this episode, episode I negated Elizabeth Olsen, Catherine Hahn, and Paul Bettany. And even though I fucking hated the way they finished it off, as you explained, I said Evan Peters because he did good with his shtick. It's not his fault. It was stupid. Right. Agreed. Uh, I am, despite the title of the award, I am going with Paul Bettany, but not Paul Bettany playing Vision in the lead role, Paul Bettany playing White Vision in the side (laughs) role. And I think that, you know, sort of, I enjoyed the whole White Vision thing way more than I thought I would. Yeah, they did did it well, even though it's like, hey, we're going to introduce this and only have one episode to figure it out. But I think they did it well. Yeah. The Tony Stark Award, the Tony Stark Exposition Award, a.k.a. the Star-Lord Who Award for shit we need to explain to us more. Hey, you know what? There's another name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Uh, Like I said, what exactly are Monica's powers? Her eyes glow a different color every time she uses a different power. I need more intel on what she's capable capable of because that changes the dynamic within the superhero hierarchy of the MCU. And I just like a little bit of i want my baseball card of monica rambo you know what i mean so (laughs) yo the baseball card market is booming these days they just sold a tom brady rookie card for like 1.32 million holy shit but i digress since i'm just a (laughs) book full of knowledge some might call me a dark hole full of knowledge oh Um, except for the fact that i didn't get this one how does ralph boner have super speed you had said it's because of his little fucking bank that's weak for me yeah, that's no, that, that is weak, but I yeah. just, I think that's the answer. I don't know if that's the answer. That's just too weak for me. All right, the time stone that real quick award, aka rewind that real kick. Like, the vision, white vision scene. The ship of Theseus is a famous thought experiment in the, metaphys- in the metaphysics of identity, much like vision explained in the scene. It is one of the oldest concepts in Western philosophy. Not only does it help decide the fate of vision here, but I believe the central question whether an object that has had all of its components replaced remains fundamentally the same object also applies to Wanda. Emotionally, she has gone through yet another extreme trauma through both her villainous actions and now the loss of her family. Metaphysically, she's no longer just Wanda. She's also Scarlet Witch. So is she still Wanda, the Avenger that we know, or is she an entirely different person, as is the central question of the Theseus thought experiment? I think because Scarlet Witch is clearly a powerful force that's going to be reckoned with in the future, 
she's no longer the Wanda that we know. That coffee sipping Wanda on the porch, uh-uh. It's the astral projection Darkhold Scarlet Witch that's taking over. And in that sense, you also get a little bit of a Hulk versus Banner type of duality. Right, right. Good call. I had the same thing as I've deemed it, the metaphysical rap battle. Vision was straight up was like, hold up, homie, brother from another computer. Let me spit <laughs> some philosophical bars at you real quick. And then White Bishop was like, oh, all right, fam, you shall proceed. <laughs> it's just like, it was a great scene how they were sort of having a genuine battle of wits, right? Like intensely staring at each other, seeing who will blink first. I really enjoyed that scene. I enjoyed vision simultaneously reckoning with the facts that the very thing he was created to destroy maybe himself you know all of this very inward chicken and egg type questions which are just you know you love to expand your mind in those ways i do like that the final positive nail in the coffin for their agreement is that white vision's like we have the same take on the Theseus thought experiment. Like, if he was like, yo, you're a Yankees fan, I'm a Yankees fan. Like, oh, what Can we just fuck? become best friends? Yeah, exactly. Like, I do love that in, in a silly kind of great sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, put this in Odin's Vault Award, a.k.a. put that in the museum. Odin's treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. The emotional goodbye between Wanda and Vision. It's well-earned. It's well-deserved emotional payoff. It was the... The, the foundational pillar of the entire show. Everything about Vision in general in this episode and this season worked for me. Same fucking thing. Can't beat it. All right. Well, I mean, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but Cap lifts the hammer award for best Same hero thing. award. Yep. I knew it. Vision using intellect and humanity to reason and sympathize with White Vision and ultimately help him rather than use force to solve oh, the problem. Oh, I have for the best hero moment, I have the goodbye. So I right, have well, this- That's a great one too. I have both the put this in Odin's vault and the best hero moment because what they're doing is the textbook definition of heroism. They are self-sacrificing for the greater good. Yep, exactly. So we're, we're basically on the just vision bandwagon in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, what is the worst thing you can say about this episode, Eric? <laughs> take a guess Brandon all right look honestly I am fine with almost everything in the episode other than Marvel going down the road having to iron out how to make Wanda's battles look cooler but my number one thing is the Doctor Strange plot hole to me and as we've highlighted could have been fixed with one sentence said in passing is an underestimation of the audience's intelligence. I mean, I don't know how else you explain that. We, of course, we're going to assume where is the guy in charge of all this shit? That's what I've been thinking since episode one. So I don't know how they go nine episodes and not as creators, right? As writers, producers, directors how was nobody like hey everybody's gonna be wondering where where this guy is and we better address that i agree uh i think the worst thing i would say is the finale had too much to do to be successful unless it was longer and, and had a little bit more runway uh it definitely started spinning a few fun new webs but like like we've said throughout i think it's a narrative clunker again i don't need most of the fan theories to pan out what i care about is that the narrative concludes in a well-developed way that serves as a culmination to nine episodes of storytelling. And that pushes the story forward into the future of the MCU. I don't think this narrative kind of uh, a plot driven culmination, which arrives bruff, bruffly, abruptly, Matt doesn't match the surrealist nature of the show's origins. 
and doesn't have the depth or, or scope of some of those mid-season episodes really accomplish that. I, I can see that the story has been definitely pushed forward with the emergence of Scarlet Witch. But then, you know, you look at a Monica and by extension, the series providing Wanda with an absolution is just full on fucking ridiculous. Like I said, you know, they'll never know what you sacrificed. You extend sympathy towards someone while still holding them accountable for their actions. So for Monica to throw her support towards someone while still, uh, while for Monica to throw her support behind Wanda and then let her go free of consequence is negligent and irresponsible. And it sends the wrong message to audiences because Wanda did just torture people for thousands of people for weeks on end. And as my buddy who works for the government pointed out, she's now a two-time war criminal after her the events in Nigeria, which again, weren't her fault. But like you tell that to a, a UN tribunal, they're not going to say like, just because it wasn't intentional doesn't mean you didn't fuck up. So for her to be able to go away scot-free and for the show and character and Monica as a mouthpiece to say it's okay and we understand yeah. is straight up offensive. Yeah. Agreed. All right, what's the nicest thing you can say about this episode after we just fucking ranted? I've got a spiel. How long is yours? Very short. Okay, go ahead then. <laughs> uh, it provided a beautiful emotional payoff that did leverage the quality character development we've seen throughout this whole show to deliver a heartfelt message of love, identity, and humanity. Yeah, so for me, and we've talked about this on the show a few times before, outside of the universe leveling snap in Infinity War and the passing of decade-long MCU stalwarts in Endgame, I think the series finale episode and WandaVision as a whole is no question in the simplest form of the word, the saddest entry in the 23 film franchise so far. That unrelenting sense of sorrow that pulses through this entire series and its lead character is conversely and somewhat retconally what ultimately makes the arc defining love between Wanda and Vision finally register. In their grief, two of the MCU's most unrelatable, underwritten, underserved characters instantly became the franchise's pinnacle of emotional comic book storytelling. While the final two episodes may not have delivered on your rampant fan theories, it absolutely connected for a home run of a dramatic emotional knockout. The retrospective of Wanda's thoroughly and consistently traumatic life, revealing that the sitcom reality was not for the sake of a gimmick, but for the peace that nostalgia can provide, followed by a permanent goodbye with her soulmate that, as we said, excels in its ability to be simultaneously and uncharacteristically subtle and devastating. In a series finale filled with clunky, at times bordering on outright corny dialogue, Wanda and Vision's farewell is everything but. It makes you wonder how it's taken so long for the heartbreak of their long-cursed love to register, how it's taken so long for you to care. Saying goodbye to Vision wasn't just difficult for Wanda, but for all of us, and that is a monumental feat in and of itself. That's what the best stories do, regardless of what decade they hail from. They ignite the imagination, which this series undeniably did on the whole, and stir the soul, which this finale absolutely hammered. Despite my many frustrations with the series, various narrative choices, I found myself undeniably moved, certainly as much as I've ever been while watching blockbuster superhero content this side of Logan. WandaVision may not have been what you wanted, but it was what these characters needed. And in providing that, Marvel Studios has created a story with perhaps more heart than anything they've ever done. 
starting the slow cap, dude. That was beautiful. Everyone, please, for expanded thoughts, go check out Eric's piece on brobible.com. Check out mine on observer.com. That was damn poetic. So check his out first. <laughs> Thank you, pal. Yeah, look, man, I, I'd say on the whole, I really, I've been saying on this whole podcast, while I was not on board with where the story went, in terms of character development and emotive storytelling, this was a home run for me. I think they absolutely hit it out of the park in, in one sense. And that is a totally okay thing. Just because you're an NBA all-star doesn't mean you get a triple-double every night. You could put up rebounds and points and not get a single assist and still be a dominant player. This shit happens. So I think on the whole, WandaVision was a a thought-provoking, emotional roller coaster experiment that the MCU ultimately landed. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to how connected we feel about them and how well they leveraged pre-existing feelings even from the movies when there were still secondary characters that we are satisfied with the series as a whole with the with the finale enough despite our qualms and peccadillos <laughs> never heard that word before peccadillos it's a good one oh, i like that yeah no it's not bad like everyone's got their peccadillos like you know i don't touch like uh public bathroom door handles right okay okay gotcha yeah you know all right uh stuff we think is cool that needs mentioning um, I, I unfortunately didn't write it down because I'm a moron, but when the movie theater changes back to normal Westview movie. Pan Hauser Gate, that is Thank from, you. go ahead, go ahead. That's from Blade Runner, the, the tears in the rain speech. So, yep. so yes, I just thought that was a really cool little reference. Yep. Very cool. Um, so you had dropped it. I had a blurb about the ship of Theseus. Did you catch the Wicked Witch sight gag yes. with the boots under the I thought car. that was great. I thought that was funny. And I, I also just wanted to note how I enjoyed Wanda kicking tons of ass and like standard suburban soccer mom weekend hanging out, cleaning the house clothes. Yeah. Like, like this is sort of like she looked like for somebody who has spent the entire season pretending to be a suburban mom, she had to look nailed. And the and the contradiction of her wearing that outfit and partaking in a traditional MCU battle, I thought was fun. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, some people have said they didn't like it. I thought the Scarlet Witch costume was awesome. Yeah, I thought it looked good. So yeah, some people are all like terrible. Like, do you know what? A... I thought it was really cool. I also thought it looked like Michael Fassbender Magneto a little bit. Oh, interesting. That dark do... red. Yes, yes. It's and kind of like armor plated almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much so. So I, th- I don't know. I th- and you know me, I don't care about costumes at all, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, right. All right, let's move on to our Twitter questions. At underscore Mr. Blankney or Blackney. Apologize if I'm butchering it. That's my that's my go-to move here, though. What's one thing you would have changed in this episode? And looking back at Marvel saying they didn't want to launch with WandaVision, did they ultimately make the right choice? I think your thing is Doctor Strange. My thing's probably Pietro. Okay, yes, fair. And I think those couple well. And I think for expanding the MCU audience, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier would have done a better job. And we know from third-party data that WandaVision did not drive a ton of new signups, though I think it delighted existing Marvel fans. So I think it emboldened existing fans' connection to the MCU, but didn't necessarily attract new fans. And I do think Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which looks to be much more traditional and straightforward, probably will. But again, this was pandemic-related, so I think, a choice. I think it was a blessing in disguise because and again this all depends on how falcon plays out but this was its uniqueness relative to the rest of the mcu provided a talk 
blocking and launching point that I am not sure the Falcon show could. Like I have girls that I know who have never, as far as I know, engaged with MCU storytelling at, at all. And I see them posting WandaVision stories to their IG being enraptured with their love stories. So it ha- this has broken through the pop cultural zeitgeist in a way that I'm not sure the Falcon and the Winter Soldier will. Because it'll be probably excellent and probably have bombs of its own to drop, but it will be more traditional fare. One bomb of which exclusively reported by the Postgred pod is that Don Cheadle's War Machine will be showing up. So go check out that pod and article on Real Bible. Very good, Brandon. <laughs> um, at the real KVD, which unresolved plot lines do you think will it get addressed in future projects? I think we've covered a bunch of them. I think um, Captain Mar- uh Monica and what's going on with her. I think uh, obviously Scarlet Witch being a threat potentially. Uh, what else? <gasps> I'm just laughing because then this guy followed up with also after today's character reveal. Do you think there's any truth to the rumor that Toby Maguire will appear in Spider-Man 3 as Carl Bigba? <laughs> <laughs> well played at the real KVD. Honestly, well played. That's funny. That is really funny. I didn't uh, see that follow up. That's great. Yeah, so I think I think the unresolved plotline of the fucking Darkhold filled with terrible, terrible spells being unaccounted for is a plotline that Doctor Strange, if he ever decides to get off his lazy fucking ass, Jesus. will have to deal with at some point. Um, like, what is he? Is he getting back into medicine? Like, where is he? Yeah, you know, so that that's it for me. Pretty much every question I'm asked, I'm going to find a way to dunk on Strange. I think it makes sense at Hargis Donovan says is Dr. Strange two going to have as many people in it as no way home now. And do we see Wanda in no way home? I actually think lost in the multiverse of madness, maybe more self-contained than we think right now. I think Sp- no way home, which I don't think will feature Wanda is going to be the blowout where it's like, Holy shit, we got doc Ock and we got electro and we got multiple Spider-Man. And I think Dr. Strange might actually thin the funnel a little bit. Can I be perfectly honest? Brandon yeah, of course. And Donovan, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea at this point. The, you know, the way that this show ultimately went and its unwillingness to loop in Doctor Strange and all that that character and his plot lines brings makes me question, you know, do we know what No Way Home is going to be? Like, maybe we've been wrong this whole time, you know? That's There's, also possible. Yeah, so I my expectations now have been totally reshuffled entirely. See, I said what I think, and I and I mean that, but of all of the future MCU projects, I think No Way Home is the biggest candidate to be like, ha, everything you thought was wrong yeah. out of every single upcoming feature. Yeah. Uh, at Zach Mallard, now that we've seen the entire series, do you think it would have been better for Marvel to release all at once? Wouldn't have had all the fan theories every week setting up for a disappointing ending, might have been able to enjoy it more for what it is. I think as we touched on, it's a case-by-case basis. I think they should have released the first three episodes together instead of just the first two and then gone to, to weekly uh, weekly release. You know, this whole, uh, as we've been podcasting for the last month plus, I've been saying that I would think it would be a better product if consumed at once but giving the emotional payoff and how something like that is earned over time i think in this case of this series i am partial to the week by week i think the for lack of a better term because when you use the word drag you associate it with it something that you don't want to do but the dragging out of this series is what ultimately made the finale's most effective moments work the best Eric, how about this? 
in you know several months, let's say midsummer, let's just say there's a lull in podcast topics. Would you want to binge WandaVision and then come back for like a mini pod being like, how did it work the second time when we did it all at once? I don't know if we're, I don't know if that lull is going to exist again, Randon, because if you uh, think you about all know. the, ba- all the backlog 2020 shit, that's going to start to drop fast nine. I think they just moved to uh June 25th, quiet place Two dropping Memorial day weekend. You know, we got Loki in June. We got, Dude, I, I don't know. All I know is I never thought there'd be a pandemic, and there was. If you tell me three months from now, aliens would be like, "Hey, no TV for a year because we're <laughs> we're coming to take over the world." I'd be like, "Fine, you know what? That makes sense." Because this world's a fucking crazy place. Um, at Denzel underscore O'Neill, did Senior Scratchy get kidnapped by Jimmy Woo's witness protection person, or was Senior Senior Scratchy Jimmy's protection person? I, good question. I don't know. Respect though. Yeah, they never went. Anywhere with Senior Scratchy uh, in episode um, eight, or Agatha Ralph. says like I like I'm so glad you finally get to meet the real us in reference to her and the rabbit. Yet we don't find out what the rabbit was. So maybe that's something that's picked up the next time we see Wanda. But yeah, I don't really know either. Uh, at real Quadfather, with all the Ralph hype, did I miss something, or was it just for a boner joke? I mean, I don't know if Boner was... Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I didn't put that together. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, I didn't realize his first name. I was so focused on the second, the last name. Oh, my God, me. You didn't either, right? <laughs> well well played, Real Quadfather. I, I was so focused on Pietro and the last name that I genuinely overlooked the first name. That was Ralph. That was dumb. That makes it honestly a little bit more dumb. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but honestly, thank you for being a little bit smarter than us, real quad father. Yeah. Uh, at Skeets24, where did Spectral Vision go? What really was the deal with Hayward? Wanda almost took out Thanos before this. Now she's way, way, way more badass. Um, by Spectral Vision, I think she means White Vision, right? Yeah, of course. So I, I just think he he exactly what you said left to contemplate his own sense of self and what's next. Yeah. And he, he's now awakened vision, so he has all those memories. So I'm sure at some point he's gonna like, hey, honey, we we need to talk. We need to have yeah, a real. The guy, yeah, the now. guy the guy had a long day. Let's put yeah, it like that. Yeah. Um, and then what's the deal with Hayward? Literally, Hayward, not we've just, just this the whole time. We just think he's a prick and he's bad at his job. Yeah, that that's all it is. That's it. <laughs> all right, those are all the questions. Is that it? Yeah. Sad. Oh, no. And then from at film Quarantino, still waiting for the Luke cameo, long nose, lying face. <laughs> Who did Wanda mean by that? Or sorry. I Wanda. think she mean. I think she Well, remember the reporter was the one who phrased it as a Luke Skywalker S cameo. She just answered in the affirmative. I think ultimately she met, she meant Evan Peters. That's, that's my guess. Okay. But that's not really a cameo because he right. wasn't. Quicksilver. Yeah, I mean, overall, I would say awesome to have MCU stuff back. Every time the theme song dropped, I was hyped. One out of ten Mind Stones. What do you give WandaVision? That's really tough. Uh, to give some context, I guess, I'll give since I've long said that Guardians of the Galaxy is my favorite MCU film, I'll give Guardians a ten, right? And then I'll give Infinity War a nine. And then if Thor the Dark World is a one, I would say WandaVision is a is a is a solid seven point eight, if not flirting with eight. I would give it eight point two mindstones out of okay. ten. Fair enough. All right. And yo, there is no rest for the wicked. We've got a fucking absolutely packed month coming up. We've got 
Next week, we have got the post-cred pod versus Diz Insider Pixar movie draft, which finally Brandon might win a draft now that he's on my team. Get the fuck out of here. Um, the following week, we Your have... simpleton-minded stuff. I don't... Uh, the following week, I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie called The Snyder Cut is coming out. Um, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, my yeah. God. It's- so we're, we're still trying to figure out how exactly we're going to pod that. Snyder Cut comes out on Thursday the 18th. Um, if they do it the way they did Wonder Woman 84, that'll be at noon. As of now, I do not have a screener. And Falcon I think other and people the are. Winter Soldier drops the following day. So I am thinking we're going to cover Falcon and the Winter Soldier on our normal Friday show as we would. We will share our brief Snyder Cut thoughts, but then the following week do a more in-depth pod. So pack month before all of that, please. And I think I'm going to start putting this at the top of the show so y'all can't fucking avoid me saying it. <laughs> Go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been seeing a few roll in. They've been super nice. We appreciate it. Much appreciated. As I've explained, it's like the only way that your podcast sort of can improve it being found by a search, which obviously helps us. Uh, Brandon, it's been a fucking blast, my guy. Dude, it's been great, especially with a, a 18 months without Marvel content. So like much fun to do this. Okay. And a worthwhile product. Yeah. All right, brother. All right, until next week. All right, peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.